This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 604 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your head number one, and my name is Matt Blum. And I'm head number two, but you might know me better as the Internet's Joe Patrick. In the first episode of THN for 2021, we're back to the business of reviewing new comics and wrapping about our must-read picks for next week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. And finally, we are joined by women that we tricked into marrying us for a roundtable discussion of Wonder Woman 1984. What just happened? What was that? Something's wrong with the ziggurat systems. They're they're coming back online now. Oh, my God. Something has seized control of the entire system. I'm completely locked out. You have been found guilty of crimes against the DC Metalverse, and as such, you will be forced to review every issue of Future State for the next four weeks. At such time, your systems will revert to your control. You will comply or prepare for your complete destruction. Oh, no. Sounds like our DC criticisms finally caught up with us, Joe, and uh, they're leaving us with no choice. It's DC Future State Review time in the ziggurat! Well, today's not going to help any. (laughs) Well, it seems we're going to be spending the entire first month of 2021 serving our sentence as prisoners of the future state, reviewing all of the event's number one issues. But before we start, I'm going to set us up with the comic that sets it all in motion. Yeah, that's right. And it was a doozy. (laughs) Not everything this week was future state, but it was enough. My first review is of Dark Knight's Death Metal, number seven, from... Look, they're all from DC, okay? I'm not going to keep repeating it. Right. At long last, our nearly year-long nightmare is over. Yeah, I know it says number seven, but it was number seven with delays and extra shit shoved in the middle of it and one-shots. Yeah, 200 one-shots, 500 (laughs) miniseries. The Batman Who Laughs has finally been vanquished once and for all, question mark. Please, God, yes. Oh, God. Wonder Woman has transcended to a higher plane of existence, and the DC multiverse has not only been restored, but expanded into a full-blown omniverse where every story you've ever read matters and is remembered. Yeah, that's right. It's hyper time, my babies. I couldn't be happier. Oh, God. The last half of this one issue is so full of hope and new ideas, and it really does set up a lot of potential for the future of the DCAUs. But it's difficult to reconcile it with months and months of ultra grim and gritty storytelling, not to mention over the top ridiculous, like trying to one up itself on every page. Oh, yeah. That all ultimately felt unnecessary now that it's all over. Greg Capullo's art is great, of course. He's joined by the equally fantastic Yannick Paquette and Brian Hitch for short sequences. While I am cautiously optimistic for the direction DC is headed in the future, the best I can say about death metal is that at least it's finally over. 
I'm giving it a skim it because I think it's worth it if you want to see, you know, if you want a glimpse at the new status quo. I cannot believe you're giving this a skim it. I feel like this was the biggest cop out. Like they had no idea what to do or how to end this. So they just went, oh, it gets worse and bigger and crazier. And then Wonder Woman turns gold and has a godlike fight with the god that has become become Batman, evil Batman, basically, and they punch each other through time, and then they end up exploding each other into the sun that eats all stories or some garbage. Like this was such a massive cop out, and it like turns out all the heroes need to do was team up and punch some people, and that's how they'll get out of it. Like, are you kidding me? This was yeah. This was just ridiculous, and it was lazy, and I feel like Snyder wrote himself into a corner that he could not write himself out of. Oh, no, I don't I don't think that at all. I think that this was his plan from the start. I just think that this is Snyder <sighs> trying to be too clever for his own good. This Man, and like reaching back to this perpetual bullshit and the hand that created the multiverse and all this, it's like- No, that was a fun callback to like Crisis on Infinite Earths. I was into that. It's but. like trying to be meta, but it's so tacked on. If you look at the way Crisis on, Ex- on Infinite Earths was executed- Next to the way that this was executed, it just feels like they were like, oh, yeah, you thought Crisis was huge? We'll make it even huger, I guess. <laughs> like it, no, I'm going to leave it. This was a cop-out. This was bad. <laughs> it, it was just stupid, and it was a bad ending to a bad event. I don't care. You could have set up this future state bullshit any way you wanted, and I find it hard to believe. I believe that this was Snyder's plan to tell this story, but I find it hard to believe that the entire plan was to lead into the future state stuff. Oh, no, I think that that changed when they started making changes to what was going to be Generation Absolutely. or 5 or whatever. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I think I think it definitely changed on the fly, but um, I like I, I I don't think that this is Snyder like, oh, no, what do I do now? I don't know how to end my own story. I think this is Snyder sitting in a room going like, ha, 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 Maybe. Eat shit, Grant like, Morrison. There was so much of it that was just like, you're trying to be this big brain dude telling this huge big brain story, and then you have little things like, oh, and by the way, the evil Superman's name, it's not Kal-El, it's Kill-All. Like, get the fuck out of here. Oh, my Wonder God. Wonder Woman's golden lasso is now a chainsaw. Yeah, like, it just... Whatever. I, I don't care. I'm glad it's over. Leave it. I don't ever want to talk about it again. My first fine future with, state. Fine with me. <laughs> my first future state review is of Swamp Thing, number one, from DC, your creative team. It's written by Ram V with art by Mike Perkins and colors by June Chung. In this far-flung DC future, we find ourselves on the planet of the Swamp Things, I guess. But here... He's known as Father Green, and there's a whole host of other swamp things with different personalities, and some have familiar names. While there's no real timeline attached to the story, we get a glimpse at a crumbling New York overrun by vegetation, and man seems to be long gone. Or are they? I I can't decide... If I like Mike Perkins' art here or not, and I had a discussion about this with Joe last night. We like Mike Perkins, right? Like he's a talented um, guy. I think back when Mike Perkins was doing uh, fill-in stuff or ancillary stuff during Ed Brubaker's Captain America run, we were huge fans. He was of Mike really Perkins. good, as I recall. And there's uh, there's pages here like 
detailing Swamp Thing's anatomy that are stunning, absolutely beautiful. But there's others that almost just look like they're unfinished and characters are moving in really strange ways. I, I don't get it, but it's almost like it's still very detailed and very talented, but not good. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to explain it. Now, I, I will say this. Uh, when we had our little talk about the state of Mike Perkins, <laughs> the state. Of uh, Mike that's Perkins. when I, when I looked at the, his work in this issue, I thought it was actually pretty decent and it kind of fit with the style of the story. But I mean, yeah, I, uh, the things that you're saying, uh, yes, there you was know, some I, real I weirdness. I mean, I just couldn't, I don't know. It, Ram V's script is a cool enough idea. I like Swamp Thing taking over the earth after man proved to be too dangerous for the planet, but the story how, of how it happens takes place very quickly on one two-page spread that is basically like the planet Earth realized man was too dangerous, so it killed all the superheroes and all the men, and here we are. <laughs> like, really? It killed Superman? <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. The last couple of pages set up a cliffhanger that wasn't too hard to see coming, but I can't say I'm real excited for this Swamp Thing rule DC future. It, it almost just seems like too easy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how about I'm going to write a future where the Swamp Thing takes over the world and everybody's Swamp Thing, but oh, guess what? There are dudes there. I'm giving it a skim it. It, it just... Well, but I mean, consider like these are just glimpses into possible futures. This is not and the I new agree. status quo and Swamp no, Thing. This I agree with that. Like, I just don't hey. think it's the most interesting way they could have gone with a Swamp Thing future. That's all. Um, I, I will say that the, the last page... Uh, the last page cliffhanger featured the return of a character that we have not seen yes. since they got er eradicated by the new 52. Well, there's two and, characters and one character makes perfect sense. And the well, other, I don't know who the other one was. The other one's obviously arcane. I'm going to cut that. Well, we don't know that. It's obviously arcane. Look, it's gotta it's be probably arcane, but it didn't <laughs> look like arcane. He was wearing like a hoodie. I agree, like, but it's gotta be. Come on. It might be arcane. Now, the other character, I'm not sure why they're there, and <laughs> but maybe it doesn't matter, and these questions don't count anymore. So why they're there, not important. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, yeah, you know, like I thought this was fine. It didn't really excite me a ton. That's all I, I'm saying. I like Ram V. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be worth checking out what he does on the ongoing when that launches. Um, but as like a short little mini, I was like, eh, like, I can't really get too excited about a, a what if where Swamp Thing is like the ruler of the Yeah. Earth. And honestly, I don't want to read a, an ongoing about that either. Yeah. So I'm giving it a skim it. Next up for me is yet another time tossed anthology tale. It's Generations colon Shattered. It's a one shot from DC. In a week full of oversized issues, DC has released this 80 page time travel epic featuring a bizarre collection of heroes and villains from across the time stream writers dan jurgens robert venditti and andy schmidt dust off one of jurgens's forgotten villains from the late 90s and his boilerplate scheme to rewrite history in his own image yawn uh, <laughs> while while the issue is jam-packed with legendary artists and the majority of the chapters are gorgeous on their own the transition between them can be really jarring, especially when you go, for example, from someone like Kevin Nolan to a very sloppily inked section drawn by Dan Jurgens. Yeah. And like, they know 
when they look at this, they know. These guys are professionals. Yeah. They have to know. <laughs> Red on its own, Generations Shattered, it seems like it could be a fun little mini event, but it's kind of baffling to me that DC would choose to put this out the same week they're just now clearing the deck for their new status quo. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe that they put this out right now. It, it, it just, especially if they like after they spent so much time telling us like, oh, yep, G five generations. It's we're, that's not the direction we're going anymore. Right? Then what is this book? Yeah. What are we doing? And it's not future because, state. This has nothing to do with future state. It definitely references future state. Which again, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. Uh, generations shattered. It does have plenty of fun moments. It just, but it just seems to muddy the waters even more. It's a skim it at best. We're going to have a... I mean, it's not even, it's not even bad. It's just like, it's like, why? Yeah. The, okay. For the execution, I'm giving it a leave it because it doesn't make any fucking sense. The comic is whatever. It's a skim it for me as well. I don't understand why it's out. I didn't care that much about it. It wasn't terrible. But what is this? What, we'll have a much larger discussion about like, what is Future State? Why is DC doing this? And what are they trying to prove when we get through all these? This is just even more confusing. I, I, it's almost like they're just saying, "Hey, the rules are are gone. We'll do whatever we want." And then, like the thing is, is that this is also just a two issue thing, right? Like, the the other one comes out, the the next one comes out in February, and then that's the end of it. And not to mention the fact it doesn't really touch anything. So why couldn't you wait and put this out later, or put it out the same week that you put out that generations thing? So you're just done with it, and it's over. And we go, all right, there's our little generations thing that happened it's over if i'm dan jurgens i am pissed that this came out this week because it's it's a weird choice i mean i don't know it it is weird it's the 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 planning of it is very bizarre if i'm dan jurgens i'm just happy i'm working i guess (laughs) right yeah there you go Next up for me is Future State, Harley Quinn, number one from DC. It's written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Simone DeMeo and colors by Tamara Bonvillain. In this alternate future, Harley is still the same old Harley we've come to love and predict their every bad joke, complete with lines like, have a nice trip, see you in the fall, which I'm pretty sure should be see you next fall. But regardless, not- I don't really think that that's kind of a semantic argument that doesn't really matter. Google it. You'll see that's where I came from. I understand, Matt, but they (laughs) both mean the same thing. I get it. And I hate them both. A reformed Dr. Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. Scarecrow, is now working with the magistrate that rules Gotham with an iron fist and powered robotic suit-wearing cops. As it would turn out, they need the crooked mind of Harley Quinn to catch mastermind criminals like Firebug. (laughs) And, of course, the star villain of the Birds of Prey movie, Black Mask. Simone DeMeo's art is- I mean, to be fair, Black Mask is a mastermind criminal. And he's a total badass, but he's also the star of their movie. So, yep, guess what? Harley's going to be fighting him forever. Simone DeMeo's art is amazing, and it's worth the price of admission here, despite the unfunny and slightly boring script. They had a chance to do something interesting with Harley, with literally no ramifications for the character, and instead, we get the same old WB cartoon character with a baseball bat and a bad attitude, and even worse jokes, it's just this time, she's in jail. This title seems to be connected to the other future state bat titles, which I guess will be their own little future state collective. 
But the plot that features an evil genius psychologist working for the cops and enlisting a maniac to help catch maniacs, which will undoubtedly bite him in the ass later, feels a little lazy to me and kind of predictable. I'm giving it a skim it because the art was great. It was really good. But I, look, I, I do not know what you're talking about. Like, I read this book and I was like, this is great. This Whatever, comic is man. great. I don't care about Harley Quinn at all. And all that stuff you complained about, about same old Harley, hammer and a baseball bat, cracking jokes. That was like the first three pages. That was the first three pages. And then she gets captured. And can, yeah, you really don't think she's going to get out and she's going to turn on friggin'. Uh, that had, that's neither here nor like, come that's on. neither here nor this there. We are so talking easy. about this issue. <laughs> like, we are talking about this issue and the setup of this storyline and the idea that like somehow Jonathan Crane has or has like tricked his way into becoming this. Uh, I'm not even sure what his. He works for his, the magistrate and we're going to yeah, find but out like, what's his what's his job. I mean, is he still just a psychologist? He's a police so he's like a criminal profile. He's a police right? psychologist is what he is now. And, and it's like we're going to find out. That, oh, guess what? The magistrate's run by bad guys, and we're right back in well, City yeah, of Bane, basically. <laughs> sure. Um, but, like, the idea that the, for Scarecrow to have the idea, it's like, we have Harley Quinn. She is, yes, she's crazy. Yes, she makes all those jokes that makes Matt groan. She's also a genius psychotherapist. So is he. Why no, can't he figure this He's good this at shit one out? thing. He's good at like making he's good at like making fear gas. He's not like But Crane was a psychologist before this. He got the job as the police psychologist. I mean yeah, like because the magistrate is run by villains. Duh. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, like I didn't think it was lazy or predictable. I thought I thought it was a really fun swerve for the character, like being forced to use her knowledge of these uh, villains psychoses against them. I really liked that idea. I loved the art. The art For some reason, I thought excellent. Riley Rossmill was doing it, but I guess he's on the ongoing, not the mini. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, Simone DeMeo killed it. Killed it. It's yeah. beautiful. This book is gorgeous. gorgeous. Yeah. This is a buy it for me. Matt's just grumpy. He hates Harley Quinn and he's never going to give her a fair shot in anything ever. I, I liked her. In you the heard it here first. I liked her in Tom Taylor's suicide squad a lot. All right. The wait is over future state. The next Batman, number one, Tim Fox is your future Batman fighting to maintain order in a Gotham city where all quote unquote masks have been made illegal by a mysterious fascist leader. You may have heard us mention him before. He's called the magistrate. I like how you called him mysterious. <laughs> mysterious. He's inscrutable. Uh, while this Gotham has certainly changed and Tim, sorry, Jace is a decidedly different Batman. I'm not sure why with, why with the Jace. Stuff. It's like it double really... secret identity. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even a secret. It's just like, Oh, you discovered my secret secret identity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, writer John Ridley delivers a compelling story that clearly establishes the new status quo and puts the Fox family firmly in the spotlight. Next up is Brandon Thomas's Outsiders, headlined by The Signal, a.k.a. Duke Thomas, uh, whose name I had the toughest time remembering and just refused to Google. <laughs> Katana and a truly transformed Black Lightning as they fight to protect the territory they've claimed on the outskirts of the city from the magistrate's control. 
I loved this a lot. And I am really excited to see where it goes from here. The third story, written by Paul Jenkins, a name we don't see too often these days, uh, sees Gotham's villains unite under the leadership of the Arkham Knight, uh, most recently from, I think it was Pete Tomasi's Detective Comics. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Pete Tomasi and Kev Walker? Yeah. Uh, and so they have gathered together to defend their home. It's a little cheesy. I still enjoyed it. From the gorgeous cover by Ladron to the interior work by Nick Darrington and Tamara Bonvillain on the main story, Sumit Kumar and Jordi Belair on Outsiders, and Jack Herbert and Gabe Eltabe on uh, the Arkham Knight story. This anthology is beautiful from beginning to end. Future State, the next Batman, number one, is a tremendous debut for Tim Fox as the next iteration of The Dark Knight. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Yeah, I really like this. This was, it was like, so cool to see Nick Darrington on like a big definitely. Prime, like, and Darrington's art was kick ass. That my one complaint that I'm going to say, if this is supposed to be the same Gotham that is in Harley Quinn, I feel like the Gotham that we saw in Harley Quinn was way more high tech than this Gotham. Like this Gotham has cops that are wearing sort of like, you know, SWAT gear and stuff and Humvees. And in Harley Quinn, they were full on like robots, <laughs> straight up manga looking yeah. robots. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess we'll wait and see how the other bat books kind of line up. Right. I'm not really sure. Well, and again, we're, we're getting all the number ones here. I will just say that this, Gotham did not feel as hyper techno as it the really at, Gotham. At, on the face of it, it really just kind of felt like normal Gotham. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And except for the fact that heroes are outlawed. I like the Bane gang. I really liked the way that Tim Fox, like they didn't mess around with the bat costume. He's just being Batman. It's him as Batman in the costume. I mean, it's it's different enough, but it's like, it's, oh yeah, that's Batman. There's yeah. no mistaking him. Doing the job, scaring criminals. All the stories were really good, even the Jenkins one. And I don't really care about Batman and the Outsiders anymore. But this was interesting. I dug it. And I like that they're doing these type of anthology books. I'm going to talk about a Superman anthology in a little bit here. But this was fun. And it felt like young creators having a good time and getting a chance to do something cool. I'm giving it a buy it. <laughs> young creators like Paul Jenkins. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, up and comer, fresh face. Next up, I am reviewing Future State Wonder Woman, number one from DC. It's written and drawn by Joelle Jones with colors by Jordi Belair. Yara Floor is here and she hits the ground running and fighting a Hydra in the rainforest with almost no help from her moody Pegasus jerk friend, Jerry. <laughs> her mission is to sneak into the underworld with the help of a boar riding pixie buddy and free her warrior sister from Hades. Gotta be Diana, Wonder Woman, who turned gold, and I guess she's in Hades now or something. I don't no, know. No, she's not. Diana is not in Hades. That is not the status quo of that book. I, of that, uh, I assume, Diana's got her own book coming up. I assume that's what she's talking about here, but we don't really find out. The story is part magic and part Beetlejuice and just a ton of fun. Joelle Jones' art is better than ever. Ever. And paired with Jody Belair's colors, this book just glows. Whether Yara is killing monsters or her pixie friend is arguing with the stewards that control the airport gate that is the afterlife, and the script is fresh, it's funny, and it's wholly different than any Wonder Woman story I've read in years, while still very much bringing the same mythological magic we've come to expect from her adventures. 
Jones knocked the first issue out of the park. I can totally see why DC is fired up for Yara's future. I am giving this a huge buy it. It, it was just fun. And they didn't beat you over the head with any like mythological goddess born of this, whatever. It's just like, here she is. She's a badass. Her mom may or may not have had sex with Zeus. Whoops. And Yara Fleur's your Wonder Woman go. It was fun. Didn't even need explanation. Just dropped you into it. And from the get-go, I had no questions. I loved it. Yeah, this was outstanding. Uh, yeah, I, we've been kind of critical of Joelle Jones's writing in the past. Um, you know, uh, she's she's good. Um, but, you know, her she shines as an artist primarily. And I thought that this was an outstanding read. Uh, I, I loved, like, the depiction of the uh, the limbo between earth and the underworld as like this really shitty airport yeah it was like right out of beetlejuice it was great <laughs> yeah uh it that was that was awesome uh I, I liked the little weird pixie uh little weird pixie friend um yeah yara floor uh, is a total badass and uh, i am very excited to see what uh, happens with this character uh this is a huge buy for me well, and little choices like making Jerry a shithead. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You know? Yeah, right. Like the yeah. Pegasus is like doing his thing. And she's like, Jerry, come help me. It's like, uh. <laughs> also naming him Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I loved this. Huge buy it for sure. Uh, my final review goes to Future State, The Flash, number one. This issue picks up about five years after a possessed Wally West murders Kid Flash. Hooray! <laughs> and that should that should tell you everything you need to know about the tone of this book. Uh, writer Brandon Vietti has some interesting ideas. The Flash family has lost their connection to the Speed Force and is now using reappropriated supervillain tech to fight crime while searching for their lost comrade. Barry is trying his best to hold the family together. It ain't working out so great. The book looks gorgeous. Thanks to some beautiful work by Dale Eaglesham. Holy cow, though, is everybody a real chunky boy? In this oh, my God. I have never seen the flash this fucking ripped. That's that's Eaglesham, dude. That's, <laughs> he, that's just how he draws got super guys. This is ridiculous. Uh and holy cow, this whole thing is a real downer. Uh, I'm not saying there isn't a place for grim storytelling in comics, but is The Flash really the best fit for it? I, I feel like they try so hard to Im imbue this darkness into The Flash, which like, by its very nature should be this like bright, super fun, science fiction-y you know, adventure. Well, and instead it's like, you could also do that darkness thing. You can do that and let the flash shine there and be like, right, I'm not going to let it pull shines, me down. Nothing shines here. And I am just sick to death of Wally being treated as a villain just because DC doesn't know what else to do with him. Again, this book wasn't bad. Future state, the flash number one, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I, it's, it's got some, it's got some ideas that I enjoyed. I loved the art. I just was like, please, please give me back the bright and happy flash. I'm giving it a skimmit. I cannot believe that you rated this book a skimmit. It blows. Well, it's not like I hate, I it's didn't like, hate I it. I don't 
know you anymore. <laughs> I thought this was a failure. I thought this was a complete, I love Dale Eaglesham. I love looking at his art. And I agree. I think the idea that they're disconnected from the speed force and they're using weapons of like, you know, the rogues, that's pretty cool. But tonally, this book could not decide what it wanted to do at all. It started off super bright and no pun intended, flashy and kind of fun. And then it goes through this super dark place. And I agree. What a perfect place. To, what a perfect way to get away from all the unnecessary bullshit they did to Wally West. But for some reason, we're still holding on to that. Are there fans out there that want Wally West to be a murderer? Really? It, like, stand up and please be counted. I would love to hear from you. I think this book was a failure. It could not decide what it wanted to do. It had a somewhat interesting idea, but the execution was terrible. I'm giving it a fucking leave it, man. This was dumb. Wow. Like, it did. Okay. Like, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, I'm saying in the sense, like, just tonally, it almost doesn't make sense. It's bizarre what they tried to pull off here. With like the Flash family, and you don't, I'm sorry, don't put Dale Eaglesham on a book like this if it's going to be this dark. That's not what Dale Eaglesham does. That choice is bizarre. Maybe get Jay Lee to draw this book or something, and it would make more sense. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. My final review is of Future State Superman of Metropolis, number one from DC. There are three stories here. The first one, Superman, is written by Sean Lewis with art by John Timms and colors by Gabe Eltiab. There's a Mr. Miracle story written by Brandon Easton with art by Valentin De Leandro. And finally, a Guardian story written by Sean Lewis with art by Cully Hamner and Michael Avon Oming, although I'm not sure why either one couldn't make it all eight pages. <laughs> like, what is the problem, boys? <laughs> yeah, that I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Come on. This and why, like, why are two artists on the caliber of Cully Hamner right. and Michael Oming yeah. splitting a ship, splitting one backup story? They, they literally did four pages each. I don't it, get it. Yeah, it was weird. This anthology follows John Kent, who is the new Superman, dealing with Metropolis after his father's disappearance. An evil genius named Andre Trojan infected a large part of the populace with his Trojan tech. Now, how nobody saw that coming? When you, a guy shows up with a new technology, it's not called like the COVID vaccine. Like imagine they call the COVID vaccine the Trojan vaccine. How this guy shows up with this it, the technology? Called no, nah, no, nah, you're totally right. It's Trojan like, tech, and people are like, "Well, what?" Oh, yeah, this uh, totally is mixed. Obviously, injected, not, injected into my veins. He's not so. hiding anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the Trojan technology infects a large part of the populace with tech that makes them easy to control, based off the remnants of Brainiac, which seems to be a pretty bad idea. Oh, and guess what? It is. The ensuing conflict with the military and the infected citizens comes to a head and leads John to make a pretty huge decision concerning the fate slash safety of Metropolis that not everybody agrees with, especially Supergirl. The main story drops the reader into what kind of feels like issue six with some massive info dumps on almost every page desperately trying to bring you up to speed and it is a lot to take in a bit confusing might not be the best way to explain it at times but you can't say that lewis isn't going for it here 
Tim's art was outstanding, and I'm sure we're going to see him on a big profile book in the aftermath of Future State. The two uh, John Tim's, formerly of Young Justice. Yes. Brian Michael Bendis as Young Justice. The two backup stories give the reader a chance to catch their breath a little bit and sort of understand what is happening in Metropolis a little more with Shiloh Norman, Mr. Miracle, and Grant Morrison's Guardian as backup stories. And they do a solid job fleshing out the story a little bit. This was a, a massive intro to Metropolis's future state, but I can't say it wasn't fun after my head stopped spinning, that is. I'm giving this a buy it. Because action comics, Superman, they have always been super far-flung, crazy, you know, tech, sci-fi fun. They just maybe are guilty of trying to do a little too much too fast in this issue. But I do like what's going on. Yeah, you know, I I, I think Lewis, you know, uh, of the three stories... I thought that the main story was the weakest. Um, and that's just because I agree with you. I think that they just tried to set up too much all at once. Well, and there's like some really obvious things like, oh, your dad defeated Brainiac. And then we used, you know, part of him to make this new technology. How is that not a bad idea? I mean, it's Brainiac. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just like, it, it, there's a, there's a, <laughs> In the old Christopher Priest uh, run on Steel from the 90s, John Henry Irons had his own book. There was a character. He was like a psychotherapist or a, or a psychologist or something. His name was Dr. Will Hain, spelled V-I-L-L-A-I-N. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> and so the, on, the ongoing joke was it's like, yeah, Dr. Villain. Right. And it's like, no, it's Will, it's Will Hain. It's Will Hain. And it's like, that's, that's this vibe. It's like, yes, like he, maybe he does pronounce his name Trojan or Trojan, <laughs> but like, no, look, obviously he's, he's uh, Dr. Trojan with his brainiac uh, mouth, mouth sphere. Why does it have all those mouths on it? It, it weirded me out. Um, but uh, it did look very pretty. And uh, I loved the Mr. Miracle story and I, I enjoyed the Guardian story a lot, even though the art was very disjointed for no discernible reason. <laughs> yes. So like I was saying, I loved the backup stories. Uh, I, I liked the status quo that like in a panic, John Kent made probably the worst possible decision. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah like, everybody is really pissed at him. Well, and part of me was and, like, that's what you're going to do, huh? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, this was, this was fun. I'm going to give this a buy it and I'm going to hope that, uh, Lewis kind of pulls it back down to pulls it back together in the second issue, maybe a little less busy yeah. with the exposition. And I will say like, uh, had they done this any other way, I would not have forgiven it, but because Supergirl shows up and it's just like, what the hell did you do? Yeah, no, it, I mean, yeah, that's the whole point. The whole yeah. point is like, wait a minute. And, and like Supergirl even says it, it's like I told your dad he, he I told him John is not ready to be Superman right he's not there yet well and they're playing on some cool stuff like the whole thing like the cops are even saying like look you're not your dad all right you're part human we yeah. want a real Kryptonian doing this and stuff it's like they've gone the absolute other side of Lex Luthor where they're like no we need a Kryptonian, not a half human <laughs> like like that's why we trust Supergirl because she can do the job which is kind of cool. Yeah, I liked this. I'm going to give it a buy it. 
Okay, Matt, so which book wins? What was the best of these first future state titles that you read this week? You know, I'm going to give it to Wonder Woman because I think Wonder Woman was the most straightforward, fun to read, and didn't leave me scratching my head at any point. I knew exactly what was going on. I felt good about it. The art was fantastic. And it just, it, it was, if if these are going to be four issues or whatever of a future glimpse, then let's have fun with it. And I felt like everything else was maybe a little too heavy and a little too fast, trying to introduce a little too much. And even when that was well done, it was still, you know, <laughs> throwing me for a whirl. So I'm giving it to Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm going to, I loved that Wonder Woman issue. I sure did. Um, but I'm going to give it to the next Batman because I think that it did a very successful job setting up a lot uh, about the new Gotham City status quo. Yeah. And unlike the Superman story, it didn't try to do too much. I do think they did a better job setting up Gotham than Superman did setting up Metropolis. Now, with that said, I want to see what it's like with these other books, too. Because like I said, Harley, that felt like a completely different Gotham to me. And I, it's supposed to be the same one. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we don't necessarily know for sure that all of the books are in the same time Yeah, frame. I guess that's true, and that makes me even more just... <laughs> we we need to stop we need to stop thinking of these in terms of like the all they all piece together. No, I mean yes, because but they like do, they use they the same magistrate is mentioned and stuff like that, and that, that has yeah, to be yeah, connected. it's true, but it's like, gotta be. So, how long has has Tim Fox been Batman in the next Batman? We don't know. Who knows? Uh, you know, is is has Batman even returned in the Harley Quinn story? We don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I do agree with you. Uh, like uh, uh, the 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 next Batman just felt like Gotham City with a new Batman. But uh, Metropolis, you know, however, felt like it was maybe two hundred years in the future. It was so nuts. It was though. ten ten years in the <laughs> yeah, future. Like no, I mean, I know that, but the way it looked was just wild, man. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's the city of tomorrow. That is your first round of Future State Reviews. And boom is the sound of the end of everything. The death sun itself into which all Earth's all stories were long ago absorbed. As seen in the pages of Death Metal number seven. This onomatopoeia of the week (laughs) was submitted by our DC overlords. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to 200nerd at gmail.com or better yet, call us 402-819-4894 and make the noise with your mouth. Just be sure to tell us where it came from and we'll play it right here on the show. It's it's important. It, we we don't just need to know where it came from. We need to know what's happening. Uh, Set the yes. scene. What is making the noise specifically? Yes, like I appreciate you people sending me obscure golden age panels out of context, That's but fun. I have no idea what the hell is going on in there. Do just <laughs> what I did. The noise. What's making it? What comic book it's from? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. 
that is it for the reviews, and now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where anti-magic tech has been installed to keep us from teleporting out of here while we discuss our must-read picks for next week. These jerks thought of everything! They did. <laughs> Matt, if you didn't have to read another Future State comic, what would you be reading next week? If I wasn't reading Future State, Joe, I would be checking out Space Bastards, number one, from Humanoids Incorporated. Name alone, I'm totally in. It's written by Joe Aubrey with Eric Peterson and art by Derek Robertson. It's 48 pages for $5.99. And let me tell you, that is how you price a 48-page book. Pay attention, boom, and IDW. Here's your solicit. Acclaimed artist Derek Robertson, the boys and happy, joins writers Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey, who don't get any credits, I guess, as they unleash the galaxy's most vicious and depraved parcel couriers? Poor David S. Proton, a meek unemployed accountant desperate for your money. He joins the Intergalactic Postal Service paired with Manny Corns, a.k.a. the Manicorn, a sardonic brute who thrives on the competition provided by the IPS. But delivery is mercenary for these intergalactic dispatchers. Payment goes solely to whoever fulfills the delivery, making every run a comically violent free-for-all between the most ruthless degenerates in the cosmos. Stand back, Lobo! Make way, Han Solo! Here come the Space Bastards! I think it's weird that they throw Han Solo in there because, like, Lobo is a definitely degenerate space bastard. Han yeah. Solo, you know, like, he was a guy that was willing to bend the rules a little bit to do the job, but He's turns a out to be a general and a hero. <laughs> so, yeah. But the preview art for this looks amazing. Derek Robertson, another one of those guys that has taken his style and just amped it up to levels we didn't even know he was capable of. This looks like a ton of fun. Yeah, I love Derek Robertson a lot, so this should be good. Uh, my pick for next week, if I had any choice in the matter at all, would be Young Offenders, number one, from Weekend Warrior Comics. It's written by Mark O. Stack, drawn by Mike Becker. It's 52 pages for five bucks digitally. Uh, you could also get it for $10 uh, for uh, you could get a print edition for $10. It's print on demand, self-published to keep your comments to yourself. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Six months after the world's premiere superheroes disappear, five young adults must step out of the shadow of their more successful peers and mentors to not just save, but change the world. They are Victor, narcissistic demon boy who just wants to front his emo band. <laughs> Elaine, a slow learner with an armored supercomputer in her brain. Jane, a type A legacy itching to take over her father's vigilante mantle. Colin, an invulnerable college dropout who has been running away from his parents' plans for him. And Esperanza, a witch who doesn't need magic to make our friends disappear. Weekend Warrior Comics, we've reviewed some of their stuff on the show in the past. The last book that I read of theirs was The Scent of May Rain, uh, which was stunning. Uh, this uh, is getting a lot of high praise from people I trust, and I am really looking forward to reading it. Uh, I was going to review it this week until Matt forced me to be a prisoner of the future state. Oh, you rolled over pretty quick, buddy. All right. I didn't even have to scratch your belly this time. <laughs> Path of least resistance, pal. I'm all for it. 
the THN Trade of the Week, and the first edition of the THN Book Club, more on that in just a minute, goes to War on Terror, The God Killers, trade paperback from Aftershock Comics. It's written by Mark Sable with art by Man House. It's got two A's, so it's Man. Cover art by friend of the show, Jeremy Hahn. Love that guy. 120 pages. It's $16.99. That is a goddamn steal, folks. Here is your solicit. Abdul Alhazred is an Arab-American folklore professor turned soldier whose fear of death stems from uncertainty about the existence of an afterlife. Then he joins the God Killers, a special forces unit tasked with fighting insurgents who use mythological creatures as weapons of mass destruction. Now that he knows the supernatural exists, he'll have to decide which is worse, death or the nightmarish monsters he thought were mere legends. I'm not going to read the whole, like, from so-and-so and whatever, but Mark Sable wrote Grounded. He wrote Fearless. He worked on Supergirl for a while. Manhouse is not a name that I recognize, but he's super talented and the art looks fantastic. This volume contains the entire series, issues one through five. We didn't review it on the show, so it'll be fun to check it out here. They're calling it Cthulhu in Fatigues, a precision strike of fantasy horror and military realism, says Multiversity Comics. Now, you may recognize the name Abdul Alhazred. That is the name of the mad monk who wrote the Necronomicon. In H.P. Lovecraft uh, fake history, I guess. More. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but this is going to be fun. This trade is available now through your local comic shop. And like I said, it is our January selection for the THN Book Club. We have this little segment. It's called Take a Look. It's in a book. And one of our resolutions this year is we are going to do 12 editions of Take a Look. It's in a book. We're going to do a trade every month. We'll introduce it. On the first show of the month, and then to give you time to read it. And then the last show of the month, when we do take a look, we'll review it and we can talk about it together on cover to cover. It's gonna be a lot of fun. You guys are invited to play along. Go to your local comic book store, pick this one up now, and read it along with us. Don't forget to pick up these comics too, so you can read those along with us and let us know what you're reading as well. And while you're at it, you can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and Facebook if you want to read along with us. Be sure not to break your 2021 resolution already though, and remember to add these comics and anything you plan on reading to your pull list over at your local comic book store. We talked about it a bit on THN Cover to Cover last week, but it's time for a very special Nerd at the Movies segment, where we invited our lovely wives to join us in the ziggurat for a roundtable discussion of Wonder Woman 1984. And here is an edited version of our convo for your nerdy consideration. First of all, let's welcome to the ziggurat, Mrs. Casey Baum. Hello. Mrs. Michelle Patrick. Hello. We are here for a roundtable discussion of Wonder Woman 1984, the most divisive movie of 2020, possibly the most divisive movie that's ever happened, I guess. Because I was going to say on the big screen, but we all watched it at home, right? I guess. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) There was, so Wonder Woman is back. We've got Gal Gadot and the gang. She is um, not quite the out of time stranger that she was in the first one. She's a little more established. Got a job now. Working in well, I mean, she wasn't out of time before. She was just in a different time. Well, I'm, 
And yes, and but I mean, like, well, I in mean, the she sense was joining like, Man's World for the first time. Yes, you so she like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but here she's living in Man's World, working in a museum. She works with Kristen Wiig, who would go on to later become the cheetah in the movie. Barbara, Barbara Minerva, Doctor Barbara, Barbara Minerva, Minerva, yes, yes. A, a very mythological name. Yeah, <laughs> for a white girl, yes. <laughs> but when the movie opens, we open with. Baby Wonder Woman, Little Wonder Woman in Themyscira. Yeah, uh, you know, you know what? Uh, looking back, I believe that it is the same little girl that played young Diana in the first movie. It is, in fact, confirmed. I've yeah. got the uh, IMDb Which is up pretty here. great. Yeah, that's awesome, and she looks like a little Gal Gadot. So totally, I absolutely believed it. I think this uh, was point, my f- Gal Gadot. <laughs> yeah, she does yeah, pronounce point of, the D. Point of order: It is confirmed, Gal Gadot. Oh, got it. Gal, oh damn, Gal Gadot. Got it. All right, <laughs> Gal Gadot. <laughs> I honestly, the beginning of this movie was my favorite part of the film. I agree. It was my favorite. I part. really, really loved the uh, Amazon Olympics. Yes. It was very much uh, Amazon wipeout. They were, they were, oh, Amazon Quidditch. I called it Amazon Quidditch. <laughs> I would argue uh, it was. They were, they were throwing like tiny balls into larger yeah. hoops, you know, that sort of shit. But you had to go through the wipeout stuff before you could do the Quidditch part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a mix between wipeout and yes. Quidditch. Right. And, but, but we get to see little Wonder Woman challenging herself and being frustrated because like she tried to cheat. You know, a little bit, and I mean, is it gets, cheating or is it being strategic? She cheated. Yeah, you know, she, she tried cheated. To take a sh- <laughs> she couldn't win. She straight she up tried cheated. To take a shortcut. Yeah, shortcuts yeah. are not cheating. Shortcuts are strategic uh, and time saving. No. Well, according not to, in the Olympics. Yeah, they're like, no, like, like I think in the I think in the obviously in the context <laughs> of these games, it, it was frowned upon. But the point uh, being, we're learning about her. To, it does go to show her um, ingenuity and. Um, uh, like quick wittedness, you know. Mm-hmm. But we also get a very heavy-handed lesson that will apply later on in the movie. We're gonna circle right. back to that. You can't cheat your way in life. But you, you know what? Gotta it's do so it the weird. hard and way. We'll talk, we'll talk about this later because I've seen so many people say that like the lesson she learned at the beginning of the movie had nothing to do with the rest of the movie, and I'm like, That's what? It's the False. whole thing. That's, That's the whole point. It's literally the yeah. entire message. It's the point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That, that's one of my issues with the story. It was like, really? Okay, so we're going this heavy-handed. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Right. So Robin Wright Penn returns as Antiope. I think that's how you say it, or Antiope. I don't know. It's her aunt, so yeah. And she stops Little Wonder Woman and is it, like- It's Antiope. And she's like, you cheated. Because she's her auntie. Sorry, girl. You yeah. cheated. You don't get to win, Little Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman gets frustrated, but in that moment learns, okay, life is a journey. Got to do it the right way. Flash forward. I'm working life in Life is a highway, and I'm going to ride it all night long. So we get to the museum. Barbara Minerva works with gems and stones and stuff like that. Geologist. She's a geologist. We have it set up so we know Maxwell Lord is looking for the stone. Stone grafts wishes. Barbara Minerva gets granted Wonder Woman strength and whatnot by the stone, and she gets a lot of she confidence. Wishes to, she wishes to become more like Diana. Right. She starts wearing Chris Jericho's pain maker jacket that he wore when he wrestled in Japan, and uh, she's just a badass, total badass, right? <laughs> and so yeah. from there, Pedro Pascal finds the stone, of course, and decides he wants the power, but pushes it up his butt. Not, not before <laughs> Diana subconsciously makes a wish to bring her dead love Steve Trevor back from the grave. So here's where we, here's where we should start talking about some of the weirdness that went on here. Chris Pine obviously comes back. We all know that because he's in the commercials and whatnot. 
one of the things I did not understand, everybody else that, that made wishes, right? When Pedro Pascal is walking around saying, what is your wish? And they would be like, oh, I wish for whatever. And the wind gently blows their hair back. And that's how we know their <laughs> wish was granted. And <laughs> she unconsciously wishes that Steve was still around. And Steve is back. But it's not Steve. Uh, yeah. Everybody else got their wish. Like, literally gets their wish. It just happens. In this case, a yeah. dude that is what? not Steve looks like Steve to Wonder Woman, but not to anyone else. Correct? Well, I mean, she sees him as Steve. Yes. He is Steve, but he is in the body of another man. Okay. Correct. Why did that wish work like that? I didn't dead. get it. Everybody right. else can't we can't bring back the too. dead. Right? Yeah. Like the president goes, I wish for more nuclear missiles. And yeah, yeah, yeah. instantly no, like, has more. No one else like, tried to bring back someone from the dead. So this is like a weird death magic rule. Like I'm just going well, I mean, to take like, it to like the fantasy realms and just there's some weird thing there that we don't need an explanation for. I just thought it was it's super weird. Because like literally the president wished there was more nuclear missiles and it's not like, like oh, all like, these cars is, look like nuclear missiles to nuclear him. Nuclear weapons aren't dead <laughs> pieces of, of no, dead person. It is, it is clearly established by the end of the movie that the rock can just make things appear out of thin air. Yeah, right. We know that. But it like did nukes in the or case a of a million dollars. It or didn't whatever. in the case of Chris Pine. Why dead. is Chris Pine just not alive? Uh, yeah, exactly. And is Wonder Woman now making out with and feeling up and possibly <laughs> sleeping yes. with a dude that doesn't he, have is. her consent? Is not, is not, does not have consent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, and at so, this point, like, he I, does have consent because he's possessed by Steve. Like, I think it's like some weird, like, Freaky Friday okay, but, bullshit. But it's not his body. It's yeah. not his body. But it's he doesn't have his mind I in that argue. body. He has Steve's mind in that body. So this is just as bad as that Revenge of the Nerds. Is consenting because Steve is in control of that guy's body. No, it's not as bad as Revenge of the Nerds. It's yeah, that's as bad full on as, as uh, 16 Candles. It's as bad as, it's as, bad as <laughs> Superior Spider Man, where Doc Ock and Peter Parker's body tries to get it on with Mary Jane. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, yes. It's a you know, gnarly uh, part of the script that they, I don't think they I really feel like thought it was about. Plot, icky. I feel <laughs> right? like it was a plot thread that got dropped. Agree. Totally. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. some freaky Friday I, I think that shit. they maybe had a reason for it and then they abandoned it. And what they should have done is if they were going to abandon it, they should have just said, yep, Steve's alive. Right. Or uh, and Steve's a ghost and only she can see him or something. And she can't touch him. And that's, oh, sure, it's, yeah, you it's know, even well, more we, tragic. Like, Hollywood has a long history of people having sex with a ghost. Sure. Just you know? look at Grace dancing Ghostbusters. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> there, I just think there's so many ways they could have done that better. And it was so awkward. Okay, moving right along. Let's talk about performances. Because there, okay. there isn't a whole lot more story-wise to really go into. I mean, we see the big thing with the wishes coming, you know, and obviously it's big and bad and Wonder Woman has well, to... Okay, well, let's let's take a quick pause then. Let's take a quick pause to flesh out the remainder of the plot. Um, Maxwell Lord gets his hands on the stone. He uh, makes a wish to make the powers of the stone his own. So he internalizes the, the power. And okay, so the rest of the, the movie stone. is Maxwell Lord granting wishes to people right in exchange for like monkey's paw style stealing their greatest desires right i just don't agree with us what do you mean i the whole that whole part i didn't get because if she wants to be more like diana diana does the stuff because she is a humanitarian right. because she does that so she can't lose her humanity 
and then become Diana. That's like that's but a, that's that, the I complaint. totally agree with Michelle. But that's the but that's yeah. the nat- that's the nature of the magic though. No. You no, can't I mean, have no. a clean wish. She, she should have wa- they should have had her lose something different because Diana does the stuff for the good. It's not just because she has these powers. Yeah, and she does so, wish, I wish I was like Diana, is what she says. That's, and she yeah, doesn't know. If she would have said what Matt said earlier, I wish I had Diana's powers, right. I would get it more. But she wants to be more like Diana. Yeah, and she does not and know where, Diana is Wonder Woman or even has powers. She just wanted to be yeah. confident, smart, sexy, and popular, and, basically. And compassionate, too. Yeah. Diana's very compassionate. And compassionate. Her, so. But she and didn't see, get no, any of that. The where, wishing stone went, this is oh, where I, this I know is what where you really I think, <laughs> This is where I think that her intent, uh, like her her knowledge of Diana at the time she makes the wish, she doesn't know that Diana is Wonder Woman. She doesn't know that Diana does things for the greater good. She doesn't even know that Diana is super strong and, and, and invulnerable and all that stuff. So, like, when she says, I want to be more like Diana, all she knows is that Diana is super capable, super confident, and, uh, you know, sure of herself. She knows she's strong as hell, though, because Diana she does know she's threw strong, that guy yeah. that was attacking uh, Barbara in the park off her. Yeah, and she right. did throw him, like, several feet away. <laughs> so. And, like, so I think that, like, if she, if she were to say, like, I want to be more like Wonder Woman— that to me is different than saying I want to be more like Diana based on her knowledge of Diana at the time. So what would happen if she said she wanted to be more than like Wonder Woman? She got all of Wonder Woman's powers without saying Then that. maybe then maybe I would agree with what Michelle is saying about about how she would also take on that compassion and that passion for the truth. But she doesn't. I don't know. I'm with Michelle on this one because everybody else's wishes yeah. were very literal. That is all this movie did. It did not move Wonder Woman forward as a character at all. I mean, and what did we learn about Wonder Woman this? She I missed her that. boyfriend so bad she didn't date anybody for 30 years? And then she decided, okay, I'll stop missing my boyfriend? Years. Yeah, I mean, like, she's a big, powerful, feminist, badass, you know, like, Amazon. And we basically learned, like, oh, she's really sad about her ex-boyfriend. But she got over it. See you next movie. <laughs> like, it just didn't really do anything for the character. Yeah. You know, like, we... And this was do I like I'm not going to say like, oh, I hate it. It was the worst piece of crap I've ever seen because it wasn't that. I don't think that was the case at all. If you look at well, like uh, Rotten Tomatoes she, says that it's 61 percent and an audience score of like 73. So people are. Eh, yeah, no, I, I, you mean, know. I think that's fair. Uh, so like she did. She did learn two brand new superpowers, which she never uses again. In the two subsequent movies that take place in the future. This is what I would like to talk about <laughs> next. How do we feel about the flying? Dumb. I loved it. I know. I loved it. I, I really did. did I did not like, like it. Okay. I like, I thought it was so like, I thought it was so in line with like over the top fairy tale mythology, comic booky style. Right like here. stuff. I, I you know, Maybe if it looked cooler. Yeah. I didn't think it even looked <laughs> it was really like good. Thor one graphics and yeah, like CGI. I really, Terrible. I think there was some special effects in this movie, this brand new movie that really didn't work well. And I would argue like the, 
in the commercial where we like we briefly saw like in the trailer where we briefly saw her lassoing the lightning. I was like, that looks pretty cool. I want to see where that goes. But yeah, then when it, the lightning when it was happening in broad daylight and she was like lassoing planes and flying waves, I was like, she hey, wasn't lassoing planes. Like, she was lassoing clouds. That looks kind of dumb. Yeah, yeah, she, did, she did lasso she a, lasso a plane. plane. Yeah, then she lassoed that. a cloud. And then she lassoed <laughs> a cloud. Like, what is happening yeah, like, here? I, yeah. I had no, like Wonder Woman is magic. I had no problems with any of that. I thought point. it was silly. And I, the Wonder Woman, like if you want to say that, oh, Wonder Woman puts on this gold armor with wings and now she can fly, I'm, yeah, no, no problem. I will grant you that the That's gold cool. armor was worthless. Yeah, and we, it looked so cool. It was like it was super right. badass. Yeah, it was and they cool. had and her it so in it cool. in these like images for the film, promotional images of her wearing that outfit. And we're like, fuck yeah! And what is the outfit? It turns out to be like stormtrooper armor. Basically, Cheetah can still kick her around when she's wearing it, throw her, beat her up, no problem. <laughs> Rip chunks off of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> something something I read online was that the presence of the gold armor was exclusively to have. Have that scene in the trailer where she shrugs the wings off, looking all badass. That's it. That was literally it. That I was mean, like the it was badass. That, that happened in that movie. <laughs> and, and if we uh, decide we're going to have Wonder Woman fly, why not put her in that armor and let her fly around in it? <laughs> I'd be fine with that. <laughs> I thought her flying in the invisible jet was cool too. Uh, the invisible I jet thing was cool. That was great. I um, loved the, that. Now the idea that she can like, oh, she's like, oh yeah. By the way, um, my uncle Zeus learned how to turn things invisible and I think I can do it. Yeah. It was, just give it a whirl. Like, wait, what? It was silly. <laughs> but I, I don't think it was any more silly than her just like talking Back to Steve. stroking through the clouds. And Steve's just like, oh yeah, you just catch the wind and you, and you fly around. It's the easiest thing in the world. And she's like, you mean like, this? <laughs> now you're just flying? Like, uh, okay. Yeah, no, look, I, I, maybe I'm in the minority, but I I thought Wonder Woman's, uh, the way Wonder Woman develops the ability to fly was awesome. I, I thought it was right in line with like the mythical, magical nature of the character. Well, I think you're alone there. So Maybe it's silly. <laughs> I, like, I'll, I'll cop to it being silly, but... I mean, if you wanna if you wanna say that like this is the movie where Wonder Woman learns that uh, you know shortcuts don't work and cheaters never pro like okay yeah uh, like I learned that when I was a little kid too yeah and so did she as a little kid you yeah, know? Right. <laughs> um, yeah so yeah no I, I agree I I I totally agree that uh, like this movie didn't really do anything to forward the character of Wonder Woman in terms of the other DC movies right. But I think there was enough there to enjoy. And I certainly disagree. Like, I wonder, I 100%, uh, you know, accept the people that say this isn't what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. It's not what I wanted. Um, and I get it. And that's not really a, a, that's not really a point that can be argued against. Um, but I've seen so many people get online saying that, like, Wonder Woman 1984 was a total piece of shit yeah. disappointment. Well, that's like, just, no, that's, come on. That's the easiest no. thing in the world is be like, it's either the best thing ever or it's the worst thing that's ever happened. You know, like settle down. And I think it's just <laughs> mad because the expe expectations were so high. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That people didn't get what they thought that they wanted. Right. And if you want to say, and, was, yeah, if you want to say yeah, I wasn't you know. into it, that, and that's how I felt. I wasn't really into it. There was pretty stuff. Wasn't really into it at the end of the day. And wish it was as good as the first one. That's where I'm at. So, ladies, final thoughts? Michelle? Oh, this is so controversial. <laughs> I did not like the first one. Oh! <laughs> super long. And Michelle! I, I like parts of it. Wow, Michelle. So, <laughs> and I like 80 stuff, so I actually liked it 
better, but I am not a comic book person, so I it, it was it was fine. I didn't even bring up like yeah. the the 80s setting because I felt like setting this in yeah. the 80s really didn't do anything. I feel the like they abandoned the 80s setting the second they got to the Middle East, right? And, yeah, and like yeah. it just it did nothing for this. There was nothing inherently not 80s even the soundtrack that had 80s. to happen. You know, like in this, that'd be like, okay, well, yeah, that was the 80s. That's why stuff like this would be going on. There was nothing. In in this movie, they actually name drop a fictional DC comics country, Bialia. Yeah. So it's a totally, like, they, it, this conflict in the Middle East is between, uh, I think Egypt is, is, is where the guy is that Max Lord talks to. Right. Mm-hmm. And a totally made up Middle Eastern country, Bialia. Right. Uh, which which apparently is, is Bielia Middle Eastern or are they like Russian yeah, no, it's satellite? No, 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 country. it's Middle Eastern. Okay, yeah, no, it, it, it was so like a, like like um uh the the dictator in charge of Bialia was very much an obvious stand-in for Saddam Hussein, right? Um, but yeah, um, and you know there was that stuff, but like all that stuff at the end with the nukes that was between the U.S. and Russia. Like Russia is about to launch their nukes because they just saw we have a thousand new nukes. Um, but I do agree that like the Middle Eastern conflict, it, it, it served nothing. And I think that they could have leaned way more into the cold war stuff. Yeah. Or or Uh, anything eighties for that matter, really other than costumes. I mean, but you know, they're trying to fanny, fanny packs made a big, you know, were heavily represented. Yeah. Yeah, The the mall. mall. Yeah. That was like the biggest eighties thing that happened. No, my final thought is would not watch again. Did not dislike like other people on the internet. Um, would watch Wonder Woman three if it came out, and it will. So, oh yeah, no, I mean yeah. I'll watch um, another one. Yeah, better soundtrack, less Kristen Wiig. Those are my thoughts. Better than Aquaman. <laughs> now, uh, I'll say that it was better than Aquaman. Never seen it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? I love Aquaman. I know you're you never do. Gonna, you're never gonna talk me out of it. Uh, it's such a. Chi- my final thought is that. But you know, like, like, yes, DC, please embrace this lighter aspect. Embrace your nature. Stop trying to be Marvel. Stop trying to be the anti-Marvel. Well, but they Just also need to DC. make a choice and stick with it as opposed to be like, hey, it's going to be lighthearted and wacky until it's super dark and scary. And But then it's lighthearted and it feels good again, right? Yeah. <laughs> Word. All right. We're done screaming about this. Thank you for joining us, ladies. And uh, thank you for listening to this entire thing, Patreon fans, because we're going to have an edited version for the show that's a little shorter. So I'm not putting a 55-minute segment on the end of our show. (laughs) Coward. Thank you so much, Michelle and Casey, for joining us. It was a fun discussion. We had a lot of laughs. And if you support THN on Patreon at any dollar level, you can hear our full conversation right there on the Patreon.com. We ended up talking for an hour. True. We thought we were going to talk for like 15 minutes. That was the plan anyway. (laughs) Excelsior. That's it for THN 604. And next week, we'll be serving out more of our sentence reviewing even more future state number ones. The hits just keep coming, kids, until such time. Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week, please. This week's question was submitted by Eddie via the THN forums. Put on your tin foil hats, lace some string on your cork boards, and walk around town wearing a sandwich board and is coming sign. 
What is your most? Or fuck it, storm the White House. <laughs> yeah, hey. Why not? Apparently it works. What is your most, uh, let's say, passionate nerd conspiracy theory? Or favorite. Uh, this- we, we decided that it could also be one that was so ridiculous that you thought it was hilarious. Well, yeah, most passionate. Conspiracy theory it doesn't mean it's something that actually happened. It well, just I means know. like but some, some outlandish like, I, like some outlandish idea. Like, but I also want to hear like if oh, you think shit. it's all right. No, I got one. I was gonna say it, but now I've got it. Yeah, but I was also gonna say like if you think it's true, I want to hear it. <laughs> like maybe that's your but like I'm, I'll tell you I know you assholes don't know what I know what they did to Black Lightning. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like this could be a, an in comic storyline theory. Uh, that were suggested or hinted at or rumored but never confirmed or some real life back end business deals that we all know happened. Matt Bomb loves oh. Oh. loves to just concoct cockamamie conspiracy theories about I things that happen in I comics. don't come up with them. I just put the I just put the, nope, the, you the do. dots together, yes, bro. Alright? I just take the, the the evidence and I connect it, you know. Uh-huh. Like you and I, baby. <laughs> uh, so basically whatever gets you all riled up that the man is keeping under wraps we want to hear about it uh please keep your question of the week suggestions coming it is a brand new year we do this uh almost every week and we need one every week we want to hear from one. you yeah every week right now i have zero so thank you Cover to Cover is back every Saturday starting at 11 a.m. Central Time live on our Facebook page and our Zoom hotline. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You could, you will be internet famous. We are kingmakers. It's true. We are internet kingmakers. Yes, it's true. Please, though, if you are sending in a submission or leaving a voicemail, try to keep it on the shorter side, two minutes or less. Uh, you know, if we don't have a lot of voicemails or if we don't have a lot of people ringing in, we let that kind of go if we're, if we're having a fun conversation in person. But, yeah, we got to share the air, guys. Last week, we had more callers for cover to cover than we have ever had in the history of the show. It was great. Yeah, it was fun. I had a good time. Thank God we had no voicemails. <laughs> If you're new to this show and you would rather read Wally West murdering Power Pack every week in DC Comics, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough of us yet. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at twoheadednerd.com, but hosting that many episodes ain't cheap. So I want to thank donors like our newest patron, Idris Hussein, one of the listeners from all the way across the pond, the man lives in the magical neither world that is London. I'm not London, England. I'm not even convinced it exists. I hear there's like a fairy tale place <laughs> with centaurs uh, and pegasies. Yeah. <laughs> Idris sent a lovely message with his pledge uh, saying that he has been with us, uh, you know, following us in the background for years now. Speak up. He is, Come on, man. He's, he's especially fond of the drunk shows. Uh, hopefully this year's uh, lived up to our usual standards. It was a little bit lower key because of the pandemic. Yeah, we were strangely uh, Normally, sober, we are too. much more entertaining. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to my buddy, Denver Daly. And my buddy and my ex-bandmate, him and his wife, Sam, had a baby today, Olin Arthur Daly. And he's 
ridiculously cute. Congratulations to you kids for giving birth to a baby on the final day of the fall of American democracy. <laughs> you snuck it in just under the wire. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just force you to review every King in Black tie-in. That Gwenum one looks like a doozy. <laughs> this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. If she didn't exist, we'd have to invent her. Gwenum. <laughs> wow. There's your tagline, Marvel. 